It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello, and welcome to this edition of World Weekly from the Financial Times. I'm Martin Sandu. This week, we're looking at the G20 summit that starts in Japan on Friday, set to be dominated by the US-China trade war. The G20 meeting brings together world leaders from 19 countries plus the European Union at a summit in Osaka. But as the Japanese presidency seeks to steer the world's most powerful economies away from confrontation over trade, questions have also been raised over Tokyo's apparent move to bow to US pressure by watering down its draft G20 communique on tackling climate change. Joining me in the studio to enlighten us about these issues are Chris Giles, the FT's economics editor, and Leslie Hook, our environment correspondent. Chris, why don't we start with you? There is a trade war going on, we know that. How bad is it? How worried should we be? Well, I think there's two ways of looking at this. One is if you look at the big, broad aggregate, so how much has the world grown in the in recent quarters and what do the big forecasts look like, and you can't see this trade war in those numbers really at all. But then if you look at what's bubbling under, particularly in manufacturing, and trade is mostly still manufacturing uh, goods related, you see that in confidence indicators, the latest PMI, for example, went below 50 for the first time since 2012. So there's a loss of a real loss of confidence. You see the trade numbers, the trade volume flows have been falling recently. And you see that where the trade war has been most definitive between US and China, you see some very large drops in trade. So since uh, October last year, Chinese imports of US goods has fallen by about 12%. That's a remarkable fall in a short time. So it sounds like you're saying we could be like that cartoon character that hasn't quite realised yet he's run over a cliff. If that's the case, what should we hope for? from this G20 meeting. I think that is exactly the case. And the the worry isn't what directly tariffs will do to trade flows. It's more the the confidence impact of it. It's like if you're a company wanting to invest somewhere and you think, well, this investment might be literally worthless if something happens in global trade, which means that I can't export or do the things I wanted to do with that investment, then I'm not going to go ahead. I'm going to wait. And so that's the the worry. And so what do we expect? Well, we're not expecting a resolution. We're not expecting the tariffs that have been put on, particularly by the US on $200 billion worth of imports from China at 25%. We're not expecting those to disappear. The uh, Treasury Secretary to the US, Steve Mnuchin, said that he reckoned that we were 90% of the way to a deal, but that actually means essentially 0% of the way to a deal, because it's always easy to do the first 90%. The last 10% is always the difficult bit, and this is exactly the rhetoric that was being used in April before the trade talks broke down. So I don't think we're expecting a huge amount. If you could get something along the lines of talks starting again at, at a detailed officials level, 
and President Trump maybe withdrawing the threat to expand the 200 billion goods which are subject to tariffs to 500 billion, which is what the current threat is, then at least you could diffuse some of the tensions and we could get into maybe a world where we might at some point later in the year see a resolution. But I think that's about it from the G20 this weekend. Leslie, let's turn to the other issue I mentioned at the start. The trade war might be the short-term biggest threat to the world economy. The long-term threat to the economy and maybe human civilization is climate change. And you have some bad news on that front. That's right. So the draft communique prepared by Japan, which could still change a lot uh, depending on the outcome of the meeting, has very weak language on climate change. It doesn't uh, vow to cut emissions or uh, make any grand statements about how the Paris Agreement is irreversible or anything like that, which was in previous communiques. But this reflects a very sad reality or difficult reality, which is that the G20 nations don't agree on climate change. The US plans to pull out of the Paris Climate Agreement. Saudi Arabia has also been very much dragging its heels when it comes to emissions cuts. And what we're seeing now is global emissions hit a record high last year. And the science, um, the modeling makes it more and more clear what the impacts of climate change already are in terms of heat waves, uh, extreme weather, rising sea levels. But the gap between what we know we should be doing versus what's actually happening in the world is just growing bigger and bigger. And the evidence suggests that the G20 is not going to be able to do much about that, at least not at this meeting. If the draft communique that you have seen is what comes into the final text, is that a deterioration from what we've seen before? Because it's been it's been a while now since Trump pulled out of the Paris Agreement. Is there anything new here or is it just a continuation of bad news? For the last two years, um, the climate portion of the communique has been what we call a G19 plus one. So basically, you have 19 major economies agree on language about climate change. And then the US has its own paragraph where it says, actually, we, the United States, think this. So there has not been consensus among the 20 countries. And, and what we've seen from Japan is they're trying to go for the lowest common denominator and write a very watered down draft that everyone will agree to. In this version, climate change is just one of a list of environment concerns, along with marine pollution, uh, biodiversity loss uh, and resource scarcity. So they're positioning it as just one of the many challenges that we're working on rather than the challenge. Now, in the past, the G20 used to have much more consensus on climate change. In fact, in 2009, 10 years ago, um, there was a consensus statement on the need to phase out subsidies for fossil fuels. And all the G20 countries agreed to reduce their subsidies for fossil fuels in the medium term. And that has not really happened. So what we've seen is even when the G20 does agree on something, it might not translate into reality even then. So does that mean we should expect unless you expect some positive surprise from, from this weekend summit, should we expect different parts of the world to go off their own separate ways on whether and how much they try to combat climate change? Well, this year is quite a crucial year for the global climate commitments because countries that signed the Paris Agreement, including the US, because they haven't formally withdrawn, they've just said they 
plan to withdraw. Countries that signed the Paris Climate Agreement have to come up with new, tougher targets by 2020. So we're expecting to see countries up the ante. We've seen the US, we've seen the UK adopt net zero legislation and the EU has had very serious discussions about adopting a net zero goal. So this year is seen as being quite critical for determining that direction. But I think we won't see the G20 influence the shape of that. Whereas in the past, the G20 was a place where there were key negotiations and deliberations that really set the tone for the rest of the climate talks. That's no longer the case. I want to come to a point where it seems to me that the trade agenda and the climate agenda come together or maybe clash. Because if different parts of the world go their separate ways on climate change policy, then that conflicts with trying to keep the world trading system open, doesn't it? Because countries that don't make an effort on climate change will be more competitive in terms of exports and can outcompete the countries that do put in place stricter carbon rules. And then the pollution is just going to move to different countries. Some economists have called for tariffs, carbon border taxes, tariffs on the border to penalize or stop trade, limit trade with countries that don't pull their part of the burden. Is that something, Leslie, you see happening at all? Well, As countries get very serious about their zero emissions goals, and we're expecting France and also Germany to consider adopting these goals, then having some type of carbon border adjustment does become a crucial part of that because you can't take the emissions of your own economy to zero without implementing some type of tariff on steel and cement and all the goods that are getting getting shipped in. But we haven't seen a lot of political movement in the short term on this issue of the carbon border adjustment. I think given what Chris has just said about the global trade war, the trade frictions, there's so much tension already that I think politicians are reluctant to add one more item to the agenda when it comes to trade talks. What do you think, Chris? Will climate change worries come to interfere with trade discussions? Not immediately. I fully agree with Leslie. It's not something for now, but it is something people have been talking about, in fact, for for a long time, because theoretically it makes a huge amount of sense to have a border adjustment, because if the UK goes to net zero but just imports all its carbon essentially from China, then that doesn't help the world because uh, global warming is global. And uh, so it's traditionally been a French concern, border carbon border adjustments. And I'm sort of slightly surprised Macron hasn't uh, been making more of this because it's a, it's a natural, I mean, not, not just natural for France, but it's actually theoretically natural that you would, if you were wanting to have a, a carbon tax to make you as a, as a route to going to zero emissions, you want that on your consumers. So you want your consumers ultimately to be paying for the carbon they use, whether it comes in something that's produced in your country or whether it comes from something that you've imported. You don't want to make imports more favourable. Now, this has always been very difficult in the trading system because it contravenes WTO rules to do this. Well, people think it contravenes WTO Has it been tested? Nobody's tried. No one's done it, so no one knows. But it probably does contravene WTO rules, although we've got to remember that the WTO is a particularly weak body at the moment. And the US, ironically, uh, has uh, has essentially neutered the power of its dispute resolution settlement body. So whether these rules would ever be enforceable is uh, is a quite a there's a quite a big question. But in, in lots of ways, this is this this is a subject that once countries have got a net zero target there will be a lot more pressure, particularly from their domestic manufacturing sectors, 
to think about this. And I think it won't go away. It'll come up. It's not something for this year, but it will definitively come up, particularly if there are countries that are producing quite a lot, but not having their own carbon or carbon emission standards in the same way that other countries want to be forward looking. And apart from the legal issue, this suggests that politically, at least, if the US and China don't manage to resolve their trade differences, it will sort of open up the global politics to other countries to start to respect free trade rules a little bit less, perhaps partly for this reason. But this opens up a sort of scenario where global cooperation in global terms starts unraveling and you end up having regional blocks pursuing regional interests. I mean, if we go down that route, do you think that the G20 is no longer fit for purpose in your field, in the environmental field, Leslie, what do you think? Well, it's interesting. One of the uh, campaigners that I interviewed uh, a couple of days ago uh, made the point that the G20 has always been born out of crises, various types of crisis, financial crisis, let's respond to a crisis. But when it comes to the climate crisis, it hasn't really been able to respond in a meaningful way. And I think that's because there simply isn't consensus between the G20 countries about what to do. And no amount of summits can sort of paper over that fact. If individual countries take extremely ambitious goals to cut their own emissions to net zero, for example, that only really works if other countries are doing similar things. Um, and I think this tension between what an individual country can do and then what's the impact on the whole global system is going to become more and more apparent over the next years and decades. We have to remember that the G20 is not a global government. It cannot take decisions in that sense. It's not something that has any enforcement mechanism. It can only do things if literally all the members agree to do it. So where it's always come unstuck is where there's a disagreement. And so if there's a fundamental disagreement, as Leslie has been outlining, on what whether climate change or whether global warming is happening then the G20 is not a body that will ever, ever be able to deal with it. It works uh, as a very useful forum for leaders to actually thrash out some of these issues. But if they still disagree at the end of their discussions and their bilateral meetings, etc., then you're living in cloud cuckoo land if you think that the G20 is ever going to resolve something. And it sounds like this is happening on trade as well as on climate. At the it's moment. happening on trade. So we used to have sort of boilerplate language in every communique saying we would never as the G20, no G20 country would ever impose tariffs or any other trade restrictions on each other. And this was, this held through the whole crisis where people were very worried it wouldn't hold, but it's not held at all since uh, since Donald Trump has been elected US president. So it's a good vehicle for agreement so long as people already agree. agree. Yes. Well, that's a bit of a somber note to end on, but end we must. That's it for this week. My thanks to Chris and to Leslie. Thank you very much. And thanks everyone for listening. Till next week. Goodbye.